It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Hello, welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we talk about episodes of The Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here on his fantastic microphone and rock and glasses is Henrik Kuto. Hello. Hey, hey. How's it going? I, I already asked you, but now you're on the air. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's for everybody. Right. I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I guess how's it going should be like a wider question. Like, uh, what, what do you have cooking recently? Oh man. I, I wish I had like, uh, I'm still in that like secret phase on something that's going to release in two months. Um, but I will tell you it is in a similar, uh, ironically in a similar vein of the twilight zone. Okay. Maybe I influenced so, you. I'd like to think I so subtly influenced. <laughs> Honestly, I don't need to do that. I think <laughs> that, that comes naturally. <laughs> well, no, and well, and, uh, and, Speaking of, though, uh, legitimately made my day a little bit better uh, sitting down and watching a classic Twilight Zone episode today that I hadn't seen. And I'm not sure how long. So that was a that was a fun thrill, especially when I realized I already had Paramount Plus. So I could, <laughs> I could very easily watch that episode. Yeah. Hey, what kind of, I'm just just for nerdy tech talk. What kind of definition <laughs> does that like come in? Um, uh, Paramount Plus, lo it looked like it was 1080p. Uh, okay. It was very sharp. I mean, obviously it's in black and white. Um, thought it looked good. I was just I was watching the uh, new cut of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, right? Mm -hmm. And and I was like, it looks okay on streaming, but I'm pretty sure this isn't like fully high def. You know, <laughs> it, it depends on a lot of factors. Uh, it depends on the bandwidth availability in your area, and like I don't know anything about the internet regulatory uh, elements of Japan, yeah, whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, it, it they may be on a different standard because, like, out here, um, you know, Paramount Plus is in 1080, Netflix is in 4K, HBO Max is in 4K. They just got the Showtime app into 4K. So most of these guys are are hanging at 1080, but then like Tubi is all the hotness right now, and it's mostly streaming at 720. Right. Um, so anyway, if you do, if uh, you or the listener gets into watching that director's edition of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, um, it doesn't. Even if the streaming was a little lower on my end, they've like fully psychedelicized the colors. So oh. that's that's what's important. It's like it looks like 60s Trek now, which there never, we go. Never would have said for that movie before. So. But it's a different space voyage we're into today. This is uh, people are alike all over. Yeah, this is one where I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen it several times, but it's mm -hmm. been a little while. So, well, and it had that. It has the classic twist. Uh, like, oh, yeah. like when I was done, I was like, "Yeah, it's a Twilight Zone ass twist right there." Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if it's the best one, but this is like definitely like a very quintessential sort of twilight zone i would say oh yeah it's up there with like the um like the eye of the beholder um stuff like that as far as like that classic twist where you, you know if you ask somebody what do you think of the twilight zone they may remember one of like eight twists and this is one of them 
that <laughs> really stands out. And it's not just a twist. It's a like a genre of twist. It's a style of twist where um, humanity is just flipped on its head, basically. <laughs> well, before I get too deeply into it, uh, I'll go ahead and spout out some trivia. The teleplay here is by Rod Serling, but the story is by 50s pop sci-fi writer Paul W. Fairman. Uh, Mark, who, who's one of my regular co-hosts, apparently he knows someone in Atlanta that's actually this guy's granddaughter, but she didn't actually oh. know him as he died in like 1972. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so chain smoking was popular back then. There wasn't that much interest in uh, coming on and chatting because and, I, oh, I just have the relationship. I don't have the knowledge. I was like, OK, that's fair. Mitchell Lesson, I don't know if I said his name right, but uh, directed the episode, and he's been in his zone before for Escape Clause and the 16mm Shrine, but this is his mm. last time in the Twilight Zone director's chair. Oh, okay. uh, do I even need to bother talking about Roddy McDowell? Of course, he's Cornelius I mean, and Caesar from Planet of the Apes. Oh, yeah. I, I was so pumped when he popped up. The Black Hole. <laughs> Fright Night. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface here. Fright you know? Night. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, he stayed legendary until his death in 1998 and is only more of one now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I just recently rewatched the class of 1984, and he's absolutely brilliant in that movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch it. I've seen it, but it was way closer to 1984 when I saw it. So <laughs> <laughs> it's worth a revisit. I assure you. Our last Plus, one. On, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, plus Class of 1999, which isn't really a sequel, has robots. Oh, right. Well, you got, what, 15 years to build the robots. That's enough. That's really put your <laughs> mind to it. <laughs> but don't watch Class of 1999 Part 2 unless you're <laughs> really invested in the series. What if I like Highlander 2? Uh, then you'll like Class of 1999 Part 2. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be all right. Last on the uh, my my little list here today is Susan Oliver is Tina, but the real dorks probably know her better as Avina. While Oliver was working steady on TV in the 60s, she's immortalized as a featured guest star on the OG Star Trek pilot, The Cage. Yes. What I learned last night was another fun fact that she was also an accomplished aviator coming in as the fourth woman ever to make a solo transatlantic journey. Wow. Yeah, it's like when you find out Michael Nesmith's mom invented Whiteout. You know, you're just like, wow, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> or, or what was it? Uh, what? Uh, there's there's one of the screen starlets that turned out to be like a brilliant scientist and like codebreaker, which, you know, uh, I wish I could remember exactly who that was. Uh, some, some, somebody tweet that at me because uh, that it's like a really notable 30s or 40s uh, starlet who had like serious science chops later on. Um, wild. Let me go ahead and show you the prologue, which I just hit the wrong button to do so, but there's the right button. Okay. You got it. I, I got it. Okay. Can you tell us what it says? <clears throat> I sure can. You're looking at a species of flimsy little two-legged animal with extremely small heads whose name is man. Mor Warren Marcusson, age 35, Samuel A. Conrad, age 31. They're taking a highway into space, man unshackling himself and sending his tiny, groping fingers up into the unknown. Their destination is Mars, and in just a moment, we'll land there with them. 
All right. So when did we really start leaving the solar system in science fiction film? Oh, man, I, I feel like that was uh, one of those things that was loosely tied to nuclear weapons. I feel like we got two big things out of a fear of nuclear war. One of them was space aliens and the other was uh, radiation monsters because both of those kind of raised to prevalence together, sometimes even being combined where like aliens bring radiation with them that infects humans or kills them or makes them into monsters too. So for me, I've always felt like aliens were a, were like a hefty element of our fear of the Russians Um you know, because their culture is supposed to be alien to us. You know, they're they're um, the Soviets, so they sleep upside down and they they eat breakfast for dinner and they wear shoes on their hands. We we know, we know nothing you, you about forgot, them other you, than that they are different. You're supposed to proceed that by saying, "In Soviet Russia, we wear shoes on hands." <laughs> In Soviet Russia, you twist the show. <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but so that's that's kind of always been my thought about that era of space alien stuff the, the the era of the flying saucer you know yeah. the era of all that i felt like that was a lot of a, a lot of that was about kind of the looming cold war after world war ii ended i feel like that's because because sci-fi starts out as an escapism thing so now that you see now that you're making me think about it i'm not sure if i i, I don't know if i fully stand by what i just said because now I'm starting brings to think, mars out pretty early <laughs> yeah well and now i'm starting to think you know, science fiction starts starts to, is generally an escapism thing. So I feel like maybe science fiction in general kind of came up thanks to World War One and World War Two because people needed desperately escapism, and then maybe uh, the fear of the Russians and the fear of I and the desire for isolationism and and all this stuff. I think maybe that culminated into Aliens later on thanks to that proliferation of science fiction. That's my my standing theory that is full, ready to be poked full of holes, but I feel, I feel good about it. Yeah. I, I didn't want to interrupt that trans train of thought. Cause yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'm, you know, there's definitely down with a lot of that, but kind of what I was getting at is um, I've been looking, you know, twilight zone. We're on an asteroid in the solar system. Uh, my other podcast, we just did first spaceship on Venus. We're going to Venus. Even day there stood still, it's insinuated that um, uh, Klaatu and Gord are coming from Mars. So I'm yeah. like, you know, when do we get out of the solar system? Is that Star Trek? Lost in Space, maybe? Uh, I, I think Lost in Space and followed pretty quickly by, by Star Trek. I feel like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, the desire for man to move. I mean, that goes back to Jules Verne, except yeah. you just replace what he talked about and make it space. Yeah, because so, we just did LG where they're like, it, it's a corner of the universe. I was actually getting into it. I was like, well, it's a, clearly an asteroid in the solar system. They're just calling that a corner of the, a pocket of the universe because our brains just haven't moved past the solar system yet, as far as yeah, yeah. is concerned. Um, now, Asimov did, you know, Foundation. He's got the whole galaxy at play. So in books, so, and yeah. Arthur C. Clarke had some, uh, you know, intergalactic stuff going on. But in TV and film, it seemed to take a while. Flash Gordon, we're going to Mars again. That's where we're going to find Ming the Merciless, right? Yeah. <laughs> at least in one of the serials. <laughs> well, one of them, yeah. So, I mean, and but again, you know, uh, then we lead into thoughts about the space race, which encouraged us to think about about, you know, storytelling that sends us into into space and beyond. So, I, I don't, yeah, I think I think uh, 
I think there was a desire to not just be the be out, get off the planet, but be the first to leave the planet and ideally be, you know, humble apple pie Americans doing it because we can't risk our enemies, you know, getting to the moon first. That would be that would be hell. <laughs> yeah. And then the past 20 years, we've gotten the more insular science fictions mm-hmm. where uh, the expanse is just in the solar system. Firefly, it's pretty much suggested that's just in the one solar system. And um and what's it? Oh, Battlestar. I mean, that they have lots of solar systems, but there's no aliens. Yeah. So. Well, and in Star Trek, generally, generally, obviously, they you know, generally sticks to the Milky Way galaxy. Right. Uh, generally speaking, the four quadrants of the Milky Way galaxy, uh, not counting any random times Q where some anomaly sends them to a part <laughs> of space that has never been charted by any living creature, uh, which does happen from time to time. <laughs> Well, the most recent Discovery season, season four, made it clear that uh, getting through the galactic barrier is a bitch. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, that's just popping your head a little bit out of the galaxy, right? That's not really, you know, because you pop your early galaxy, you've got quite a bit to go before you reach another one. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but that'll be a lot of quiet time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As for this one, though, um, I guess these guys only have to deal with what, what is the current idea for mars voyage three to four months if you launch it right uh, i think mars is still on closer to a year side i think it's about nine to ten months you might very well be right uh, again it depends on your launch window as well because well, sure. uh, you know orbits get weird but yeah these guys weren't in space for like you know um deep space mission lengths of time and yeah do they just send they just sent two people. Were there three? Did one die? No, there were two. That yeah. that was the first thought I had. Was I was like, "What mission sends just two people? <laughs> like, you're one appendicitis away from having space madness, being all alone on a planet. Like, yeah, you gotta send just, at least four. One guy just needs to turn on the other, and uh, Markinson is definitely, you know, like already halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> I that was the only part that I was like, really, just two of them. Like just oh, two of them. Oh, the other one I caught because we had just caught an LG. And I think another one is um that you know, Twilight on the in the Twilight Zone, you know, airlocks are for sissies. Oh yeah, who needs an <laughs> airlock? Just, what's out there? Up there goes the door. Um <laughs> one of my favorite things about this episode is the very cheesy interior spaceship set. Yeah, with all the Forbidden Planet stuff stuck in there still. That's clear. I I love just you could you could just start counting how often things from Forbidden Planet show up in the Twilight Zone. (laughs) And I just love like at one point he lifts a chair up to get it away from his friend who's been injured in the crash. And the chair is just like a chair from like a school classroom or something that's been sprayed probably gray or silver. I mean, we can't tell it's black and white, but like it's just. It's just so fun. As I look at it, I'm just like, wow, they just uh, grabbed some chairs and went, this is a space rocket. <laughs> well, make sure the chair is bolted down, I guess, first. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, clearly that didn't do them any good because their crash landing didn't go so uh, yeah, so smoothly. Now, of the two people, um, you know, Conrad's a scientist, right? Marcus is a pilot. Conrad is a scientist. And I yes. thought that was interesting because in the, the Apollo missions, they didn't bother sending a scientist until the, the last one. Huh. <laughs> it was, well, it was I all, guess... all test pilots and stuff until the last one. They're like, hey, we should probably send a geologist before we wrap this well, up. They're probably worried about the physical complications of space travel. Because for the longest time, it was like, you know, just severe G's and blood clot worries and 
and spinning you in a centrifuge so that if high G's will kill you, you die on Earth and not in space. Well, and with the Apollo setup, you have to teach the scientists how to land the lunar lander, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that could so, be a bit of a challenge. You know, yeah, when that, at least pilots can take photographs and write notes. <laughs> like I, they already I, know how to do that. I remember trying the the space. I, I didn't actually go to the space camp. I went to Huntsville where that you could try out the, uh, the try to land the lunar lander. And of course, every in the fourth grade, everyone dies, right? No one can land the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if you had landed it perfectly in one yeah. try, what your what your life would have been instead of what it is today. <laughs> yeah, but Marcus and he, he, he well, he didn't he didn't manage it, did he? <laughs> no, he uh, he he turned out to be a piss poor pilot, yeah. <laughs> I would say. Um, yeah, risking a lot of tetanus. Uh, oh, sorry, oh. That, that when they crash, yeah, and and before yeah. launch. Oh, that was the thing. They're at that like like rusted fence, like watching the ship. Like we're going up there in two hours. Like why are you going on a rusty fence? <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, that's something. Like they're, they're standing just watching them, watching the ship, saying like we're leaving in two hours. All the thing is like I feel like there's prep to be done. Um, I feel like you need to like take some kind of stomach medicine or like be getting your vitals run. But, you know, but this is this is in the olden days when they just shot you up into space and they're like, ah, you have a good time. Uh, they'd be <laughs> like, listen, only only one carton of cigarettes in space, boys. We're right. We got to We got to be reasonable. You know, <laughs> I do like when they get to Mars, it uh, still has canals. I, I mean, yeah. you know, love love the Martian canals. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Who knows if we if we look close enough, maybe we'll, you know, <laughs> find they're really there. Yeah. <laughs> So what was your thought when you first met the Martians, when the, the door first opens and you see all these like blonde headed people in like quasi togas? Mark of Gideon from Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Where uh, he's Kirk is they've built this fake enterprise for him and he keeps hearing weird noises, finally opens one of the uh, portholes. There's a bunch of people standing outside because their <laughs> planet is so crowded. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. And why did they build him a giant enterprise if their planet's so crowded? <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> Great episode. It's just a really dumb one. <laughs> well, I mean, some of the best ones are a little on the stupid side. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, we got this. Of course, with the Trek, we got the, the same alien seductors. But sorry, I think I derailed. I, I gave my answer. I feel like you must have a different one then. Oh, well, I... I, I... I found it interesting because rewatching it and not fully remembering what happens in the episode, really, there's that moment when his buddy, you know, before his buddy dies, where he tells him, like, people are all alike, basically, uh, basically what the title was, which I'm which I'm forgetting. I'm going to I'm butchering right now, but it's like uh, they are all alike or what was people it? are alike the, all over. Pe- people are alike all over. That's what it was. He, he basically the benefit says, of having your notes page uh, next to the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he basically warns Roddy McDowell's character about that. And then he meets these people. And my first thought, I'm, you know, when, when, when my natural instinct, when you see a giant crowd of like almost Aryan looking people in, in sheets and robes, my first thought is like, what do they want? Like, like, like. I didn't grow up in a world where that was what you were hoping to find. And uh, so I would immediately be very nervous. I'd be like, why do you people live on Mars and look like Socrates? I'm very uncomfortable, uh, extremely uncomfortable. And then, of course, they they speak English, but they don't, which was a big twist. Right. 
They, they, how, how would you feel if you, you open the door, you found all the people in the white robes, and the first thing is like, have you found Jesus yet? <laughs> I'd be like, ah, those people were right. Oh, man. <laughs> Great. Now I got to go apologize to all the Mormons. You know? <laughs> have you yeah. heard the teachings of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Welcome to Mars, by the way. Hmm. Yeah, they could be fun. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think we'd 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 find more like the the Thetan fellas out there. Oh dear. Okay, I, I'm gonna pass on my trip to Mars now. Uh, well, okay. But, what, uh, what movie made Mars look like a fantastic place to go? Oh, Total Recall. Okay, other than Total Recall, <laughs> made Mars look like a fantastic place to go. I mean, Total Recall sells it pretty hard though. Yeah. Um, it's like really they were like really amping up for that Mars tourism bid, you know. Uh, yeah, Mars. Yeah, usually movies don't really suggest Mars is going to be great. They usually suggest that it's either going to be a vast unknown or lit, like just straight up evil, like yeah. <laughs> like straight John up Carter deadly. Has a hell bad. of a time. <laughs> yeah, yes, he does. And I've actually, I was the first thought that came to my mind, oddly enough, was Ghosts of Mars. Oh no, we don't like, want to go to that Mars. Well, I'm just saying. Yeah, they 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 uh, not only do they not sell mars as a positive place it's like a nasty desert with you know the only safe way to really travel is on trains and then in case you didn't hate it enough also the planet's haunted so (laughs) of course it is (laughs) well i mean i know a lot of people give that movie a lot of guff and it's a cheesy dumb movie but the concept of of mars being haunted is pretty brilliant you know because the idea is all of the natives were killed in some, for some reason, you know, they all died for some reason, uh, uh, tectonic shifts or weather changes or solar flare or something killed all of them. So why wouldn't they just haunt the whole damn place? I've had people on podcast saying, uh, thermonuclear detonations 10,000 years ago in the Martian atmosphere. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do that. That sounds cool. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> sounds dope. There's, there's, a, there's a few actual scientists uh, putting forth that theory. They're saying there's an isotope in the, uh, Martian, atmosphere that um can only be created through a nuclear explosion so well i mean that's i mean i'm not going to check that. And think about, i can't but... check that science but <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting to think about for sure oh definitely no they are they are somewhat liars they say like, do they fix his ship i they, maybe they're not liars maybe they did fix his ship they just don't i mean i would assume they fix his ship to you know uh display and, it invade earth <laughs> oh, it could be, or just yet yeah, to understand us for the inevitable invasion. Um, I mean, they well, I mean, they are liars, but they're the they're the they're the classic Twilight Zone liars. They're like they're like so overly friendly and so extremely accommodating that you just know any time now there's going to be some kind of massive twist. <laughs> Like, I mean, that's just, that's just what you come to expect from the twilight zone. And, uh, yeah. So when they show him like this house, they built him based on his mind. Uh, they're like, you know, this is your home. They're telling the truth. Basically. Yeah. They're not quite (laughs) lying. That's true. Yeah. Um, You know, they're, 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 they're withholding the term like prison. (laughs) or or cage um but a cage is a home i suppose yeah yeah uh (laughs) i wonder if the tv i can't imagine that tv set's going to pick up anything i don't know i guess i guess (laughs) you can still get you watch tv from like what like five hours before maybe i guess 
yeah or, or a day or some something depending on the the sun but uh and that was the first thing i wondered to when he was like there's even a television i was like turned on like i wonder what happens <laughs> only so, <laughs> slasher films <laughs> it just shows the same three episodes of lawrence welk and that's it oh god that, i know okay. that's that the was, evil twist yeah that, that was about to say that's a serious twilight zone twist <laughs> <laughs> that's a little too too uh brutal for television yeah <laughs> um what are I'm thinking, of course, the cage is the obvious one with the same actress, even. Uh, but some other iterations uh, that come to mind, I guess, would be um, the Oroville. If you've seen that show, they have a, one of these episodes where uh, they're plopped into their old apartment. Turns out to be sort of the same situation. Um, oh, OK, <laughs> that's kind of fun. I've been I've been meaning to watch the Orville now that it's all on Hulu. So I, I should get around to that sometime. I've heard nothing but great things. Yeah, it takes a few episodes to really get rolling. But I mean, that's as much for any show really not too yeah. many shows just kick it from the start <laughs> um oh the other one that really comes to mind because it's same vintage well it's a few years later but uh and i just reread slaughterhouse five i don't know if you've read or watched that i read that back when i was a teenager yeah yeah i just um i realized it was was a i think it's a this year's a hundred would be kurt vonnegut's 100th birthday so like oh we got a we got to do the film Slaughterhouse Five sometime this year. And it's like, well, I should probably reread the book. And, and then ended up rereading like five of his books. So that's how those work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty all right. But yeah, yeah, that that has what is it? The um, multi-dimensional space dome that he lives in with with a uh, a busty star uh, actress or whatever. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else wouldn't make sense. Right. So he seems a little happier in his cage. But yeah, in science yeah. fiction, you can't typically you can't have the people happy in their cage. So, uh, you know, Conrad's not happy. Pike's certainly not happy. Our Oroville crew's not happy. Crews aren't happy. Could a regular person be OK being thrown into into this sort of a cage? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the only way it's entertaining to show somebody being happy in a cage is if it's just one of them and everybody else is like, what is wrong with you? And they're like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> And then if it was Twilight Zone, it would turn out that being in the cage was the best idea. Like, that yeah. was the good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was just, the, I guess, well, of course, you know, Vonnegut was kind of a satirist, but the fact he's like, eh, I'm in my cage, it's fine. I mean, you know, he, he's time jumping anyway, so he gets out of his cage <laughs> and comes back just temporarily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got to be better than being in the firebombing of Dresden, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would have to agree with you there. So, okay, to- okay. Nice padded cage. Uh, you know put up against firebombing i guess we can see why he's happy there <laughs> yeah i could get that um i actually on uh this is was not meant to be a um a plug for my podcast but i literally this week's story that i read on weekly spooky is a, about a a guy who it was a, an original story written by one of our writers about a guy who's in a mental asylum and he never speaks all he does is draw heinous murders and they at like the reason he got committed was he drew heinous murders and they thought he and he was a suspect so they considered it a confession because he wouldn't speak and this was in the 40s or 50s and it, it turns out he's psychically spoiler alert but there are 135 other episodes you can listen to um but because it just made me think of what you said psychically it turns out he's just able to see through the killer's eyes when they take a victim and him his way of drawing is like the only way to try to communicate what's happening and uh, there's a moment when the main character is like, but if he's not guilty, 
why doesn't he try to get free? And then it dawns on her. She's like, cause he knows what's in the outside world <laughs> and he wants to stay in the cage. And I was like, Oh, I mean, I'm the, I'm the producer of the show and I'm reading. I'm like, Oh, I've got chills now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking feel weird about existence. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's almost like minority report, but less useful. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it is. That's yeah, absolutely like, hey, accurate. Guys. Hey, folks, it's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> Astute. Well, so, but no, that just made me think of that because, yeah, the idea of being better off in your cage. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, I think I mentioned before in Japan, we, we never quite locked down. So, you know, I think half of the world did this a couple of years ago. You know, Shanghai, they're, they're busy doing it now. So, yeah. Um, I'm, since I, I have this weird situation where I never had to do that. So <laughs> I'm curious yeah, but, if you had any parallels on your mind there. Um, You know, I don't know. Because I, uh, I live in Ohio, and Ohio was a relatively aggressive lockdown state early on. And then once the data started coming out, our, our governor got, like, way less into it. So um, I don't know. I... I when I look back at that time in my life, I'm like, I should have just left the house. <laughs> I should have just, I should have, I honestly, uh, I, I'm so anti-cage. I wish that the first thing I did when the pandemic really started hitting is I had just booked a flight to Mexico to go stay at one of those empty resorts for like $81 a night. That's what <laughs> I wish I had done. But yeah. instead I tried my best to, you know, to put on my best Stockholm syndrome and it didn't work very well. Um, <laughs> not well at all. I don't fit in most of my favorite pants. Thanks to that level of Stockholm syndrome. So <laughs> no, just for me, I, I like, can't stay in the house. Like, even on days off, like my, my thing Sunday morning is usually get up, have breakfast, do the dishes. Now I'm going to take a walk for like 40 minutes, you know? Come back yeah. in, do something, have lunch, take another walk. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and these are like like big, like you know, like well, you know, like two or three kilometer walks, so like a couple miles, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm I'm not a. I, I, that was the worst part. Is it kind of turned me into more of a homebody? I still have to nudge myself to be like, no, 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 leave and go do something. Like, just go to the store again. You need a couple things, and maybe you should leave the house. You know, <laughs> I'm still retraining myself for that stuff um now you mentioned spoilers uh you know rod spoilered my podcast this week didn't he my first question is who exactly in this episode went into the twilight zone and the last line of the episode is samuel conrad has found the twilight zone yeah (laughs) (laughs) should should i even should i even ask the question who went into the twilight zone this episode well okay we know conrad did rod told us uh yeah this one rod made it easy how about marcuson marcuson the other astronaut yeah I don't know if he made it to the Twilight Zone. I feel like he, uh, you know, he he was the the Oregon Trailsman who got dysentery and died. He didn't make it. <laughs> you he was, got dysentery. He, he was he found himself Twilight Zone adjacent. <laughs> yeah, we do get people there Twilight Zone adjacent. So um, Markson's dead. We'll leave him in the, under. The, I wonder if they buried him in the Martian soil. They couldn't have left him in the rocket. They surely. said they were going to bury him. Okay. So and since they their lies were always thinly veiled, I think they were telling the truth. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so if they had said we'll take care of him, I'd be like, they're eating him or making him into art or something. But <laughs> since they said we'll we'll bury him for you, I was like, all right, they're probably gonna bury him. Yeah. Okay. So uh we'll we'll think about Conrad here then. Did he deserve his trip into the Twilight Zone? I you know, that was probably the thing about the episode that kind of shook me a little bit was I didn't feel like he deserved that at all. He was just a he was just a scientist who was like in the opening was like super honest about his emotions too. He was because the pilot guy's like, I'm not afraid. And he's like, I am. <laughs> like, but you know, but maybe he got what he deserved for being willing to fly to Mars with only one other person. I don't know. I mean, because it still blows my mind. It's like we'll send him in two person teams to Mars. Why not? It's not I mean, enough people to dig a latrine. Yeah, I mean, again, Kirk would have Spock in the room with him at least. Yeah, at least. So <laughs> they'd, well, Spock, figure, they'd figure Spock's the way the out. The three men. <laughs> <laughs> Spock counts as, as three dudes, uh, three regular dudes. Now, okay. and so I don't think he deserved uh, his Twilight Zone thing because he. it's not like he he had no. And I mean, maybe I missed it, but I didn't get any sense that he was like a cruel person or that he was getting any kind of comeuppance. Um, other than I guess maybe he was getting his comeuppance for thinking that people are good. <laughs> I mean, did, that would be the, the only he, punishment he got. Yeah, we did the Purple Testament where that's the guy that can see death on people's faces and finally sees it on his own face, right? And we're yeah. like, we, we didn't deserve it. And we're like, well, well, did he? I mean, what, what did he do yesterday in the war, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Um, I mean, and, and even being World War II, because, yeah, you make it Vietnam, and, yeah, clearly the, you got that, you know, what did he do yesterday? But, hey, you're in a war, you, you're doing stuff, right? So, yeah. but this guy, yeah, like you say, he's a scientist, and he's not he's not doing nothing to nobody. <laughs> and he's Roddy McDowell. I just find him so likable. Wait, maybe this is the karmatic uh, comeuppance for him um, to, to later jail charlton heston for a while <laughs> i was an occasion now you are <laughs> damn they damn finally made a monkey ain't. out of me <laughs> <laughs> yes they finally made a monkey <laughs> right exactly <laughs> I, I had to explain that simpsons joke to someone in detail just the other day and boy did i <laughs> no I just, I just did an episode of this which airs after this before so i do these out of order right uh people have already heard it where um one of our guests had just been to a Planet of the Apes screening with uh, the actor who played Dr. Zayas giving it. So it was hard to was like, don't sing the song. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Do, 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 do. You, you don't. Dr. Zayas, you don't, Dr. Zayas. You don't have that, uh, that firewall. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes right out. Okay. <laughs> no, it's, here's the reason I can't do the song. I'd have to start doing the verses and I can't remember the verses. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with me? We think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're all so lazy. Yes. There, you got a verse. So you're, that was you're, one of them, yeah. One's, one's better than I've got. I, so. <laughs> okay. Um, we will place this on the tripometer then. Zero is not trippy at all. Five is very trippy as usual. It's nothing about quality. It's just how trippy it is. Uh, for me, I got to give this one, like, <clears throat> I don't think it was that trippy. Um, everything, I mean, it was scarier than it was trippy because <laughs> everything's pretty believable. Like the people look like people, you know, the costumes are a little cheesy, but they're, I buy it. 
um you can i i've seen cages i believe that it was a real cage so like i would call it like i'd have to go hard like maybe a 1.5 or a 2 mm. on the trippy meter yeah i was thinking about 2.5 because of space but this is i i go on a lot about how the twilight zone absolutely should be in black and white which 99% of the time is probably correct this one I was kind of wondering if this was in like you know 60s ridiculous color would that like so it looked more like Lost in Space or Star Trek would that make it better or trippier Maybe. I, I think that it wasn't super trippy just simply because it was a uh, a very like pared down simple depiction of like they fly to mars they crash yeah they didn't they didn't do a lot of big effects moments because well frankly they probably you know did that episode to save uh some money i don't know if you're you familiar with the the phrase bottle episode mm. i mean cage you episode. can't really do a do what cage episode oh yeah but yes of course well, i know bottle episode oh yeah yeah <laughs> so for those who aren't in, uh, uninitiated, the bottle episode theory comes from what they used to say on Star Trek The Next Generation um, and maybe the original series as well, which was that any episode that didn't have a new character or a new location, that it just took place on the ship with just those characters, those episodes were done to offset budget so that they could use it on other episodes to do like a big fight or a you know big space fight or big effects thing. And Although it's not exactly the same on an anthology, I I mean, I feel like when I watch old Twilight Zone back to back to back, you can tell which ones save them money and which ones cost them money pretty easily. Yeah, that's I guess that's where I'm thinking where the color would help her because, um, you know, most yeah. episodes have that one like like effect. This one just being like, oh, the wall rises and it's a cage, which is like whatever I, I can I, I can figure out how they did that one pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. But I found it more disturbing because of that, I, because I do like when things are kind of muted and simple. I find mm. that to be scarier because I find that to be more like what happens to you in real life. Yeah. So in that way, I was a little mortified by like the simplicity of like, oh, they just pull the walls back. And yeah, it's a cage. It's a cage. You, yeah. you said white robes, though. I'm like, if they had like, you know, pink and purple and green robes and the sky had kind cool. of a purple tint, you know, this is. Yeah, this is one where I maybe maybe someone. I, I don't think we should colorize things, but I'd be curious to see someone try it on this one. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. It would have been, it would have given it that little bit of a, you have a trippy factor. I could dig that. And this is the first episode of the Twilight Zone that that even occurred to me. Really? Like every other one, I'm like, yeah, black and white for for mm -hmm. sure. So this is the first one, I'm like, I, I'd actually be curious to see this one in color. <laughs> but uh, okay. Got any final thoughts on this? Uh, or you're going to stew in your existential dread? <laughs> I think this is a great one to revisit because it's meat and potatoes Twilight Zone. It is, you know, uh, two great actors, a not so great set. <laughs> and then and then Forbidden and, planet uh, stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. And then uh, 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 an extraordinary circumstance with a dark twist at the end. It's. I can't say it's like a highly memorable episode, except in that it is so nuts and bolts exactly what you want when you watch the Twilight Zone. Yeah, because and like, Roddy like, McDowell, <laughs> even the house, it's like I'm sure that was used for like eight sitcoms, and even on Twilight Zone, I'm pretty sure they used that in a Third from the Sun not so long ago. So, oh yeah, <laughs> you just redress it, and well, you probably don't even have to repaint it since it's black and white. But when I know in color films, they just repaint sets again and again and again until the walls are literally like have a quarter of an inch of paint on them. They'll just paint them again and again and again and again. <laughs> 
I, I think I might have mentioned this um, in an episode, but it's probably been a while. Um, on the Blu-rays, it fo- it often follows with like a quick network promo. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes it's like you know, one of Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen. That kind of makes sense after the Twilight Zone. But some of some of the other ones like here's a, and it's like it's some sitcom i don't even remember it's like here's america's favorite dad and it's like clearly like it looks like the set you've just seen on this show and, you know it's like <laughs> carving, carving the turkey and this is a this is like yeah this is this, there's some kind of uh dissonance going on here <laughs> yeah i would say so <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's kind of fun though well that that's right after rod tries to get you to smoke so <laughs> well yeah Rod tries Go to get on. you a smoke, and then then you see America's favorite dad. It's a weird way to end a, a kind of a disturbing episode. <laughs> now it's time to go to Flavor Country. <laughs> <laughs> flavor Country, of course, being the grave. <laughs> it's flavor for the maggots. Oh maggots. God, that's the twist. <laughs> the twist is the guy who gave you your first cigarette is just a maggot. You just didn't notice for some reason. Maggots are falling like rain. So I was trying to get a good Garth Marenghi maggots out, but I couldn't muster it. <laughs> maggots? Maggots. <laughs> uh, do, you have any, do you have any maggots in your movies? Or, or stories? Uh, not generally. Uh, no? One time we were supposed to use mealworms, but it, the place we were going to get them from was out when we went to pick them up. <laughs> Sorry, we're all out of maggots. <laughs> We don't got no more mealworms right now. They'll have some more in three, four days. I don't know why they sound like that. They're just like a like a modern pet store. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, dang old man, you know. Because Ohio. I used I you know, I used to be a boy scout when you go into like the backwoods of North Carolina and Georgia and all that. And no, you'd find like the fishing stores which did, you know, just selling bizarre bait with guys with deliverance accents. <laughs> We yeah. saw a guy playing a banjo out on the front porch once. <laughs> we were like, this can't, can't be a good buy time. that level of authenticity. That's too good. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> uh, anyway, your work. Yes. Plug. Oh, what? well, I actually uh, just recently a television program that I directed and produced called Boggy Creek. The series just hit Tubi in the U.S. of A. So, um. If you're in the United States or you have a VPN, um, you can watch all six episodes of my Bigfoot television series totally for free with commercials. And uh, it features Eric Roberts and Brink Stevens. And uh, I'm very proud of the work we did. So if you get a chance, go to 2BTV.com, punch in Boggy Creek, the series, and uh, check it out. And if you're really curious about my work, you can just uh, find my name in the show notes because you're not going to spell it right on your own. Copy it, paste it into Tubi. You'll find like every movie I've been involved with that's on Tubi. Most of them are uh, are there and free to watch. And if you uh, need a little bit of spooky in your weekly, you can check out Weekly Spooky, my podcast, where every single week there's a brand new horror story, kind of like Tales from the Crypt, except an audiobook. So that's what I got going on currently, my friend. <laughs> Rocking on. This is Time Enough Podcast. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's in the podcasting umbrella of Podcastio Podcastius on Patreon, where we also talk about sci-fi films at Bat and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Weird films at Oral Hygiene. And there's some things for the gamers with Luke Loves Pokemon. The Monster Hunter podcast, Monster Mash, should be coming back soon. 
And in the meantime, you can hear the Game Game Show, which is a game show about games. Ah. Okay. <laughs> I think I got everything <laughs> out there. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. Okay. Check for any walls rising in your general direction, I guess, then. I still got windows. Yeah. Oof. Any peanuts flying in? <laughs> I mean, uh, frankly, I would I would be into that. But what what, what okay before we completely cut off, if you are the zoo animal, because this was a, a barred cage, right? Not an energy field. They can toss in food. What what food are they throwing to to Henrik? <laughs> oh well, to, if they throw it to me, they're going to be cheeseburgers, like like maybe sliders. You know, just throwing them right there, right at the right through the bars. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going to get these um. These tortilla wrap things they have at the Seven Eleven. That's that's for me. Ooh, yeah, that they, they started selling the taco ones again. I mean, it's not authentic at all. But <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? Not authentic yeah. in Japan? At a, oh my at god, mini mart. <laughs> Man, when we want Mexican, we have to buy like an El Paso taco mix. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs>